is really nice to see you. Um, if you're new, my name's Tim. Uh, it is really lovely to have you with us today. Um, we are plowing through a, a brand new series um, that was going to be a different series. And then uh, God spoke. And rather than being like, oh, God, we've kind of got plans. We've uh, like had loads of great ideas. And I know, you know you're sovereign of the universe and everything. Uh, we kind of want to continue with our own series. We're like, actually, God's spoken. We need to respond to this. And the series is called Move. Um, which is really ambiguous, which is why I added a little subtitle. Uh, and this particular week, as part of the MOVE series, we're talking about when God initiates, how do we respond? And this morning, I was um, sitting in my gym jams and just thinking about this preach and just, and just figure it out. Was that too far? Too, too far, too far. Okay, I didn't have to add that. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try and move on. I've already ruined it. Um, and I was thinking, and I was thinking about how do I how do I open this? Just into, just practically, how do I open this? I, I've got some great stuff to move into, but I wasn't really sure how to begin. Um, and in the end, because I'm a carefree person, I was just like, I'll be fine. I'll, I'll figure something out. And um, what actually happened is, throughout the worship, um, God spoken really powerfully. God's spoken really significantly about how He initiates, how He has spoken first. There was that scripture a little bit earlier on of um, how Christ died for us whilst we were still in our sin. Um, there was that, there was that um, picture of how God is for us, how he doesn't leave us. He's not leaving us abandoned on an upturned ship in the middle of an ocean. He has initiated. He has gone forward. He has um, come to us um, with his Holy Spirit and softened our hearts. He has initiated before we ever did anything for him. He has come to us. That's the offer um, that, that God made known through prophetic words this morning. And it's kind of what I'm going to teach on. So part of me was thinking I could just get people up to say the same thing they have, and that would essentially be my preach. But I'm not going to, because I spent loads of time on this, and I really, really want to bring it. So um, we're going to look at how, um, we're going to look at the parable of the sower, um, and it talks a lot about how we respond, how we respond to God. Um, but I think it's worth, um, we're going to begin a little bit with how um, God, first of all, initiates. But first of all, let's read through the whole parable of the sower. So um, if you have your Bibles, open up Mark 4, uh, verse 1. And it's going to come up here, but it is really nice to be able to read along in an actual uh, physical Bible. Um, uh, that means I don't have a Bible, so I, I'm a complete hypocrite, even as I say those things. Um, but it goes like this. Uh, again, he, that's Jesus, began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed, other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand these parables? 
Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word immediately, receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the words, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Lord God, we thank you that just like you, God incarnate, came down to earth to give life to, to humankind. Jesus, the same is true today. That God, when we open up your word, you want to reach out of it and give us life. And Lord God, I pray, would we be responsive today? God, where we have hard hearts to what you have to say, would we be responsive? Lord God, knowing that the gift you give is life and life to the full. Jesus, would we take you at your word? Would we receive what you have to say for us today? And would you change our lives for your glory? Amen. Amen. So we're going to, as I said, look a little bit through how it, what it means for God to initiate um, and I think, uh, I think I'm going to begin with the most complicated, with the most, the strangest bits of that passage. And Jesus says a few things that are a little bit weird. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, which seems like a really odd thing to say. And also when he's talking to the disciples, he says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Um, and he's, what he's talking about here is how um, this interplay between God initiating and us responding. And he's kind of saying two things here, which is um, people need to respond, but they can only respond because God has first initiated in their life. It, what, what, the reason he uses parables, and he does this over and over again, and to be honest, when you're reading the Bible, this is infuriating, because you're like, just make it plain. He's using these odd pictures about stuff I don't even relate to, like camels and sewing stuff and things like that, and I've, I struggle to understand that, and I've, it's not obvious what you're teaching. Can't you just say, and here is the lesson? And, and, and here's why Jesus does it. Jesus does it because he is revealing hearts. He's not just teaching intellectual truths. He's revealing where our hearts are at. So the point is this. We need more than just good understanding. We need more than just good lessons. We need more than just a how-to step-by-step of how to honor God with our lives. We need our hearts transformed. And what he's saying is, to you has been given the secret of God, that, that, that this is more than just um, hearing something, that something has been made known in our hearts, which means these parables start to make sense. And the reason I'm starting with this is that um, it, it's, it makes sense of the rest of this parable, uh, that God, first of all, needs to initiate. God, first of all, needs to transform our hearts. Mm. So what this leads us to is to stop trying to intellectually, purely understand God. And there's a part for that, right? Alpha is a great example of that, where it very helpfully lays down these facts in the Bible of who Jesus is. But behind it, and the creators of Alpha would totally agree with this, behind it, God needs to do a work. And some, some of you experienced this, uh, maybe when you became Christians, you were told the same thing over and over again. And you'd heard the same message, the same gospel over and over again, and then something just clicks. And for some reason, it just made sense. 
And, and for me, I remember moments like this, I'd been, some of you have seen the photos, I was a choir boy, I was involved with chapel, I'd heard these stories, these pictures over and over again. And then as someone was explaining it to me, something just clicked, something just made sense. I think it's worth mentioning that these guys were praying for me at the time. I wasn't a Christian, and they prayed for me, and something in my heart changed. And before we get into the how do we respond and what do we do, we need to begin with, God, without you, we have no hope. Without you, we are, we are blind. Without you, we are deaf. We need you to open our ears, to open our eyes. And that's one reason we pray. It's one reason why last few weeks particularly, we have not shut up about prayer, right? How many of you right now are sick of hearing about more prayer meetings that we're doing, right? Well, there is so much prayer going on, but it's because at the end of the day, like this is what God calls us to do, to wrestle with him in prayer, that he would change hearts. There's so much stuff we can do, and we're going to talk about the stuff we can do. Don't worry, I'll, I'll get there. But before we get into all of that, we need to begin with, God, would you change hearts? Would you soften our hearts? Would you soften the hearts of those who have not yet responded to this amazing gospel? God has such wonderful good news. And we need his Holy Spirit to illuminate this wonderful truth in us. Um, I'm going to use an illustration, but, but before I do, I bring this with, um, with great nervousness. Because in some sense, I hate this illustration, um, but it's really, really good. So I've wrestled with it over the weekend. I figured, no, 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 I'm going to do it. I'm going to use the illustration of the film Matrix, which I know immediately some of you are just thinking, why? <laughs> it's such a painful film to watch again because it's so horribly 90s, right? Where there's like, there's dodgy curtains and like the slicked back hair and those like disgusting, like floor length leather jackets. It's just a horrible picture, but it's perfect. So I'm going to use it anyway. So um, some, of you, so some of you are familiar with the story of the Matrix. Um, essentially, to sum it up a little bit, um, you have this quite average guy called Neo, and he basically is, is told by this mysterious person that the world he lives in is a dream. And the world that all humans live in is actually a dream, and it's actually faked. And what happens is, is he has this, if you like, truth revealed to him that actually machines are controlling this world. It's all very sci-fi. Machines are controlling this world, and he has this option to escape this world. That's a very famous scene with the blue pill or the red pill. And he has this option right, in that, right there. Do you follow what is true, or do you choose to wake up tomorrow? And, and um, uh, I think Morpheus says, and believe whatever you want to believe. He's saying you can continue living a lie comfortably and just ignore all of this, or you can actually respond to this truth. I think there's something uh, like in so many films and stories in our culture, they have, if you like, echoes of the gospel. And The Matrix is one that theologians love because it has so many wonderful pictures of the gospel. Now, to be really clear, The Matrix is not the same as the Bible. Like, just, just to be really, really clear that I know some of you, you might not be sure. Like, to be really, really clear, it's, there, are, there are little pictures of the gospel in it. So like, do not go home and watch The Matrix and be like, this is the word of God. It's not, please do not confuse me. But there are wonderful pictures, echoes of what it is um, that we see in the gospel. And when, when um, Jesus came to earth giving this good news, it genuinely blew people's mind. It, he says, no, 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 the kingdom of heaven is completely different to what you are seeing right now. We see in, with Neo's story, he did not initiate. Someone else broke into his world. He would, uh, his life would have gone on exactly the same way if someone else had not broken into his world. But then he had a decision to make. How do I respond to this? How do I respond to this? And, and that's the whole story of the Matrix, um, and it's the story of our lives. How do we respond to this news that God has given us? 
And the parable of the sower um, starts to unpack that. Uh, Before we dive into some of the way um, that we respond, um, it's worth mentioning that this is probably less a parable of the sower and more the parable of soil. And uh, James's heart really for um, this series, but this particular preach, this particular parable in general, is as a church, we're in a place where we've seen God move, where we've seen God work in powerfully in our own individual lives. We've heard some amazing stories of people coming to know Jesus, amazing stories of God coming through in really difficult moments, but also corporately. We've seen God speak to us. That's why we're here in Elton. We've had God stir us to go do multi-venue. Uh, we've seen God speak to us over the last few months. Just really powerful prophetic words over what this next year is going to be. And so really our, the decision that all of us have if, is how are we going to respond to what God's done? For some of you, it may be responding to the gospel. I need to, I, I need to, I need to accept Jesus into my life. He has offered this amazing gift. What am I going to do to it? For some of us, it's using that, that gift that God's given us and we're just kind of keeping on to and we're not really sure what to do with it. We need to move. We need to take a step. We need to respond. And I think this is a, um, it's really, it's a really significant moment as we ask, what kind of soil will we be? What kind of soil will, will we be? And we're going to go through uh, the list of different soils that this parable lists out. Um, but we have this option. Just to um, uh, unpack this metaphor a little bit, because uh, it can be a little confusing. Um, so J- Jesus uses three particular uh, pictures in this metaphor. He uses sowers, the seed, and the soil. And the sower is, initially, it's Jesus. Jesus came to earth. What he's doing? He's proclaiming this good news. He's speaking the word of God. He is sowing. But he calls us to sow as well. And so when you, when you see this picture of the sower, this is something that God has called us to come into too. You also see the picture of the seed. Right? This is used interchangeably with word quite a lot, which is it's quite an ambiguous word, word, word that doesn't really necessarily help us. Uh, the Bible uses the word to talk about the gospel, which is the good news that God has brought. That there is a way back to God. That there is forgiveness for our sins. That there is life in Jesus. That's what the seed is. So when the sower is spreading this seed, what he's doing is uh, proclaiming this good news one way or another. Maybe like this, proclaiming it to a bunch of people. Maybe in those, those gentle conversations we have with our friends. He's sowing, he's sowing, he's sowing. And the final one is soil. And the soil in this story is used to talk about people's hearts, the state of people's hearts. So we're going to kick off with um, the path, and it says this just at the end of the parable. Um, and these, um, that's uh, these hearts, are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is in them. This is a, a picture, if you like, of, of what we often see. And I know even over the last few weeks, many of you have had stories of this where you've been um, gently and lovingly but persistently trying to share Jesus with friends who, who don't yet know who Jesus is. And what are you met with? Are you met with, wow, that's amazing. I'd love to hear more. No, quite often it's, nah, I'm not interested at all. I'm not interested at all. That may be great for you, but, but not for me. And I think sometimes we can intellectualize it quite a lot. I know I, I love thinking about the, why do people think what they think? I love thinking about the psychology and all of that, but the Bible makes it very clear. It's because they have hard hearts. When we don't accept the gospel, it's because we have hard hearts. 
And it talks about how the Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So Satan sees, hey, these people have hard hearts, therefore I'm going to sow little lies, little doubts, little um, things that keep them away from the word of God. Satan hates good news. He hates the good news that Jesus brings. And so when we're sharing this gospel with our friends, it's not just a word battle that's going on. There is a spiritual battle that's going on. There is a spiritual battle that's going on. In 2 Peter, it says this, God is patient to you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. This is, this is the good news about it, that God, God loves people um, hearing the gospel and loves people responding to the gospel. And sometimes it takes a long time. It talks about how God is patient, that God is, is not in a rush. And so he calls us to do the same to be patient as we sow the word, to be patient as we share the gospel in a slightly different way with our friends that we love and they're still saying no, but he's called us to be patient as we continue to sow and sow and sow. We sow not because we see and we understand what's going on, but because God is faithful. Just returning to this picture, if you like, of the sower. Um, now, like those who are into uh, farming, I assume there aren't loads of you here, but if you're into farming, you don't just randomly sh- like shove seed everywhere. You're selective about where you put it. And this is intentionally different because Jesus is making a point. We don't know where is good. We don't know the state of people's hearts. We don't know how people are going to respond. What we do know is this word is the best news we could possibly share. Like Lou shared earlier on, we have this incredible, phenomenal gift given by God to us to share. And I know there's, there's moments, um, I've got married within the last three years, and there are moments, and I never really thought about this before, where you're thinking, what gift do I get someone? What gift do I get, get someone? I was never really a gift giver, and I'm married to a gift giver, so now I have to think about these things all the time. Well, Amy thinks about these things all the time. I just hear the process. And you're wrestling, what gift do I give? What gift do I, what, you know, what kind of person are they? Like, were they like this gift? Were they like this gift? Are they that kind of person? Will this gift be offensive? You've had those moments, and, and you're trying to figure out what gift to give. Uh, what is wonderful with the gospel is that everyone needs it. It's not like, a, well, are they the kind of person who'd respond to the king of the universe? Yes, they need Jesus. They need Jesus, whoever they are. Uh, our challenge is maybe uh, there's a practical one of kind of how do we do this in a gracious and loving way, but also, God, I just need to pray. I need to pray and trust you with this. As I share this word, I trust that it is actually a gift for those around us. And so that's how we respond to hard hearts. But the reality is that there may be some of us here who you'd identify to this hard ground. You're like, I have heard this gospel before. I've heard this, what you call this good news before, and it doesn't sound very good to me. It sounds, it sounds just a bit wet, maybe. It doesn't sound very real. I don't understand how it actually connects to me. God wants you. God wants you today. God wants to give you the most amazing life. And it took quite a few years in my case as God softened my heart, but God wants to soften your heart today. Um, don't, don't harden your heart to this message. God loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to forgive you of sin. He wants to give you a new future, a new life. It's why we go on about this over and over again, because we know it's good. And it's why God is so, um, he's so persistent. He's so persistent as he knocks on our heart over and over again. I want a relationship with you. So that's hard hearts. Next up, we see shallow hearts. 
And these, this is Jesus talking about these people, these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. We have had the joy over the last few years of seeing tons of people get baptized. Seeing tons of people respond to Jesus. Um, and although we don't proclaim it quite as loud from the front, we're all aware of those moments where people respond to the gospel and then they just fall away for some reason. That gospel that once was such wonderful good news to them, um, when trial comes, when things get difficult, and becoming a Christian, things, do, things are difficult, right? Jesus doesn't promise you, hey, you're going to have a really easy life. This is going to be great. It's, hey, it's first class for you for the rest of your life. No, life is tough. Life is hard because Jesus doesn't just call us um, to uh, give us his sins or he gives us life. He calls us to then follow him. Follow me. Trust me, it's worth it, but it's not always going to be easy. And so um, what what we see in this picture is that people immediately respond to this gospel, but they are, um, if you like, they're on hard ground and their roots don't go down deep. And this is always our prayer. For anyone who makes a response to the gospel, our prayer always is get your roots down deep into God. Because Satan hates the fact that you've responded, and he's not going to make it easy for you. Um, we often see, and we, we don't necessarily give people a warning about this, but we're reminded of it whenever we see a baptism. Often around baptisms, there's a lot of stuff that just happens to be happening that's making life really tough. Some of you have stories of this. When you were getting baptized, there were moments where you're just like, why suddenly is life getting really, really hard? Why are there random things that have come up that are uh, making it really, really difficult for me to get baptized? The reality is Satan is alive and well in this world. Um, Jesus talks about him a lot. And he hates it when people get baptized. He hates it. And so we see um, this wrestle with this spiritual warfare going on. And um, some of you may be here today and maybe you've, uh, you've responded to the gospel at some stage, but your roots just don't go down deep. I love, uh, I love, I love trees, right? Because trees have, uh, it's amazing when you see this uh, like cross-section. Uh, and often uh, what you don't realize with trees is how deep their roots actually go down. Sometimes they go down as far as they go up. And you think if a tree's massive, its roots must go down crazy far. And you don't really see these roots until a tree gets ripped out. Right? And then you start saying, wow, these roots are huge. And you actually don't see which, which are the trees which have quite shallow roots until a storm comes along and knocks them over. And you can see, man, this, this tree did not have very deep roots. You know, compared to some trees, it's really, really shallow. And we are, if you like, like trees. Uh, often the roots are the hidden things, are the things that you don't see day to day. You could be, heck, you could be someone in church singing super loud. You could be someone who's so confident in those small group settings, someone who seems like they have everything together. But God calls for us to be more than just people who on the outside look like everything's sorted. He calls for us to people who have roots that go down deep into him. Um, Psalms says that a righteous man is like a man who is, whose um, roots go down into streams of living water. Do we do that? Does our life look like that? Do we know God deeply, powerfully, intimately in those moments of trial? I had a dear friend at university who was a worship leader. And uh, he was in the year below me in halls. And we got on really, really well. And we, we hung out every week and just talked about, you know, significant life things. And uh, I discovered when I came back after my, I think it was my first or second summer. It was my second summer. And he basically um, said, yeah, I'm not a Christian anymore. I was like, what? 
really? That, I did not expect that. And it turns out that the roots he had, they just didn't go down into God. His, his walk with God had been very superficial. He didn't really know who God was. And so trial came along. Um, I think his, in his case, he basically wanted to have sex, right? It's Manchester University. This is not an uncommon thing to come across. And, and he, the trial he had was, I, I have desires and urges to do that, but God is calling me to do this. And uh, I, can't, I can't deal with this. I can't deal with this. And ultimately, he didn't know grace. He didn't know God's amazing grace. His, he had perhaps made a response and for a while lived with this superficial walk with God. But his roots did not go down into God. This is, what God, this is the kind of life that God calls us to live. Connected into him, full of the life of knowing Jesus. So that is a shallow heart. Next up, we see the cluttered heart. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the words, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the words, and it proves unfruitful. We have this uh, um, picture here of, of someone who, again, similar to the previous picture, they respond to the word. They respond to God. They respond with joy. And what happens is there's other things in their life. There are other things, the, the picture here is thorns that are literally strangling out the life that you once had. This hope in Jesus that you once had is being strangled out. It's quite interesting, the things that he, he, he lists here, the cares of the world, things in this world that seem really important, but in the grand scheme of things, aren't really that important. How often do we do that? How often do we look back on our life and think, man, I was really stressing out about that particular thing that wasn't actually that important. But in the moment, it seemed like everything. And sometimes it takes a little bit of looking back to realize, I just need to chill out a little bit with things of this world. They're really not as significant as I thought. Um, it talks about the deceitfulness of riches. Uh, John touched on this a little bit, which was really helpful. Um, it doesn't just say riches are, oh, they can be a bit bad. They are deceitful. They lie to us. They tell us, they promise us riches. If you, if you can obtain this money, if you can obtain these things, this stuff, you will be happy. You just need to meet a few rich people to know, oh yeah, that's not going to work. I'm not going to be satisfied. If I can just get that money, I will still be unsatisfied. And this is, uh, like, honestly, the, the Bible goes on and on about riches quite a lot because where our money is, often our heart is. And so how do we deal with this? If, we're, if, we're, if our hearts are cluttered with things and we're like, God, I feel my life in you being strangled out, how do we respond? One of them is to give outrageously. And I appreciate, I have to, I, I, I do always feel sensitive that I have to mention this every time. I work for the church and therefore when we give in some kind of distant way, I benefit, right? Now, the reality is if you give more, I, I will not get a raise. Like nothing changes in terms of that. But the reality is but more, more than the good your money will do when you give it away is the good that happens in your heart. When we give recklessly and as worship to God, something happens in our heart. Well, we are um, the thorns that were strangling us, the desires of this world, the deceitfulness of riches are ripped out. Because giving says, God, I give control to you. I'm not in control here, you are. This world is not about me, it's about you. And the third thing he says in that is the desires for other things. 
And we've, I know we've heard lots of, of, of it in worship this morning, but God wants our desires. He wants all of us. The Bible calls him a jealous God, which in plenty of other contexts, someone being jealous over us is a bad thing. But the reality is God loves us. He is the only one who is honestly worthy of our desires. And we have affections for things in this world. Affections for sometimes big things like family, sometimes smaller things like jobs, and sometimes really insignificant things like hobbies and stuff like that. And we have desires. And as Christians, our wrestle in this world is to let God be our primary desire is to find all of our hope and our joy and for our desires to be satisfied in him. Because even as Christians, we try and replace the hope that Jesus gives, the truth that he gives us, the, um, uh, if you like, the foundation, we replace it with other things. Well, you know, if I just succeed in this area of my life, if I can just get into that relationship, if I can just achieve this thing in this world, then I'll be happy. Then these desires I have will be fulfilled. And God says over and over again, you will not be happy unless your roots go down into me, unless your desires are fulfilled in me. I have managed to mix up all of my notes. I have like one job here and I can't, there's seven pages and I've managed to like lose my place. But I'm getting into it. Okay, so there is a poem that I've loved for a long time and uh, it's a little bit old. So I do give you a bit of warning. You will think, and like, that's from like 30 years ago. That's because it is from 30 years ago. Um, But it is really, really helpful. I find it really helpful in my devotion and as I... um, as God moulds and shapes my heart, this poem has been super helpful. So I'm going to read it to you. I want my breakfast served at eight with ham and eggs upon a plate. A well-broiled steak I'll eat at one and dine again when day is done. I want an ultra-modern home and in each room a telephone. Yeah, old. Soft carpets too upon the floors and pretty drapes to grace the doors. A cosy place of lovely things like easy chairs with inner springs. And then I'll get a nice TV. Of course, I'm careful what I see. I want my wardrobe too to be of neatest, finest quality, with latest style in suit and vest. Why should not Christians have the best? But then, the master I can hear, in no uncertain voice so clear, I bid you come and follow me, the lowly man of Galilee. Birds of the air have made their nest, and foxes in their holes find rest, but I can offer you no bed, no place have I to lay my head. In shame I hung my head and cried, how could I spurn the crucified? Could I forget the way he went, the sleepless nights in prayer he spent? For forty days without a bite, alone he fasted day and night, despised, rejected, on he went. And did not stop till veil he rent. A man of sorrows and of grief. No earthly friend to bring relief. Smitten of God, the prophet said. Mocked, beaten, bruised, his blood ran red. If he be God and died for me, no sacrifice too great can be. For me, a mortal man to make. I'll do it all for Jesus' sake. Yes, I will tread the path he trod. No other way will please my God. So henceforth, this my choice shall be. My choice for all eternity. Isn't that wonderful? We have a God who gave everything for us and he calls us to give up everything in this world and follow him for Jesus' sake. This is the relationship that God calls us into. This is the life full of joy, difficulty, but full of joy that he calls us to live, followed hard after Jesus. What has God done in your life? What has he initiated in your life? What will your response be? For some of us today, I think there are thorns that need pulling out. 
of our life. There are things that have crept up in us. There are um, desires of this world, things that desire our attention and our hearts and are strangling our walk with God. And God would say, pull them out, pull them out. They don't have to be there. They, They are optional. You have been called to follow me and I am with you. I love you. And sometimes it's terrifying because sometimes it means letting go of things that we have depended on for a long time. We have lent on some of these things for a long time. And God says, trust me, I've got you. Trust me, I've got you. Reality is, I don't know your story. I don't know your life. I don't know the things that are going on. I don't know the wrestles and the struggles you have, but Jesus does. And what he calls you to, he will also equip you for. He will provide everything that we need. So when we pull out these thorns that we've depended upon for so long, he says, I will protect you. I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's why we can boldly take these steps forward. That's why we can boldly say, God, I'm following, following you with everything. It's very good news. The final type of soil we have is good soil. And this is a good heart. And Jesus says, but those that were sown in the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Good soil means soft hearts and open ears. God, I'm yours. You've given me everything. I am going hard after you. It's a little bit like Abraham's story. We see this throughout the Old Testament, but particularly with Abraham, is a wonderful picture um, where Abraham heard the word of God. If you like, the sower came to him when he was in this random city in the middle of nowhere. God came to him, not Christian, not a God follower. God came to him and shared the word. And Abraham said, I believe, right, I'm going to go to this random place I've never been to because I trust you. And what we see is that um, he received words God in faith and rejoiced and rejoiced. He received the good news that God was bringing and he was trusting in this God. And so therefore we see this guy who, hey, he was not perfect, right? This is an Abraham we've heard lots about. He was a screwed up guy, but he trusted in God. And so therefore he could make these big, bold steps. He, his response to God was, God, wherever you go, I'm going. And what, what did we see? We see God used him. God bore fruit through him. And, and this is the whole point of this parable, that we are supposed to bear fruit that God wants to do stuff with us. He doesn't just want to, yeah, you're saved, right, now you're Sundays for the rest of eternity, and like, that's it. No, 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 he wants to bear fruit in us. He wants to do wonderful things in us and through us. And we think about Abraham's story, a guy who clearly had it wrong in so many ways, but just trusted God, and God bore fruit in him. And we see this joy rising up in Abraham. If we... If we have been called by God, what fruit does he want to bear? What things are there that God's called you to? I mentioned it a little bit earlier on. Maybe it's responding to God. Maybe it's responding to this gospel. We would love to talk to you further about what it means to respond to Jesus. Maybe for some of you, you've felt God has called you to certain things and you've just left these things. You've just put them aside. You're not really doing anything with them. Um, and, and God would say, I want you to bear fruit, and I've given you gifts so that you would bear fruit in certain ways, in a way that builds up the church, that builds up your brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, we need to talk about this over and over again because it's so easy to discount ourselves, to discount what God has given us, but also to discount our response, right? Well, God's God. He does everything. He, uh, he is the one who initiates stuff. He does it all, and we forget that God call us, calls us to respond. The most helpful picture I've heard about it is it's like pedals of a, on a bike. Our relationship with God is like pedals on a bike. 
that God initiates, that God pushes down the first pedal. And then he says, your, your turn. Your turn. How are you going to respond to this? Now, it's not that, hey, all of this depends upon our works. It does not. As we said from the beginning, God is the one who bought salvation for us. But he calls us to respond. To, if you like, it's, it's like a dance. It's this interplay between God initiating and then us responding. And that is what the walk of a Christian looks like. And I think for some of us, there's only one final thing that I want to touch on practically. I think for some of that, it, it is, it's how do we see community? How do we see our brothers and sisters in Christ? I think we're in this um, odd stage at the moment as a church where increasingly people feel they can do their walk with God on their own. They're like, I've got Wikipedia. I'll be fine. Like, I mean, you know, I'll come to you if I have a really hard question, but fundamentally I, I can Google it and I'll be all right. Thanks anyway. Like we treat church, we treat our relationship with God like that. And, and we see throughout the Bible that God says over and over again, don't be alone. Don't be alone in this. You are made to be one another. You are made to be one body. Don't do life on your own. And it's so encouraging when people say, like, I'm in. I'm in. It's not easy. It's awkward. I've got to cancel hobbies I was doing and squeeze in stuff. But I, I want to get stuck in. And I'd really encourage you. If you're, if you're kind of on the edge and you're not really sure what to do, like, God loves you. And we are not a perfect people. I can vouch for that very, very quickly. Um, but God does amazing work amongst us. And so if you're not in a community, get involved with the community. If you haven't done DNA yet, I'd really encourage you. DNA is our, the way that we get stuck into church if you're new here. Uh, it's, it's an explanation of who we are and where we're going, but it's also a step. It's a step of response to God. It's saying, hey, this church is not perfect, but you are amongst them. You are working in them, and I want to be part of this. And that's the invitation that we have this morning. And so I actually have another piece of notes somewhere. Oh, yeah, sweet. Look at all this. I've got loads left. I keep losing my place. I've, uh, I've done this really badly. See, this is great because you guys are kind of like the, where I make all the mistakes, and then Welling will get it where I've actually figured out all my notes. I know how this all works. But thanks for being patient with me. I really, really, really appreciate it. Um, finally, the last thing to mention, and uh, this again was referenced during worship, and so it's so encouraging. This isn't really me. God's clearly speaking to us. Um, how will you sow? God talks about people as sowers. We're all sowers. Like, that's kind of our thing. That's what we've been saved. We've now got handfuls of this seed. We've got this good news around us. What are we going to do with it? And I know uh, the, the complaint I have in my own heart is, God, everyone's so difficult to share stuff with. It's really hard. And it's actually quite awkward as well. And they're like, they're friendships I've got. And I kind of don't want to make them awkward because right now we're really getting on talking about like rubbish, like just surface level stuff. And it's really, really good that God would say, I've given you handfuls of this good seed. And this seed is, is, is good on its own, is life on its own. It's not that the seed is bad. You just need to actually go be responsive to me and go sow. Go sow. This is good, and you may look like a fool, but that's okay, because it's for Jesus. And Jesus loves you, and he is um, with you. And when you go out, you're not doing it on your own. You have the Holy Spirit with you. Jesus is interceding for you. Go out and be bold. And it means in these relationships we have, in these conversations we have, that, that our prayer is, God, would you give me an opportunity? And when you give me that opportunity, I'm going to take it. 
and I pray this, sometimes on the tube, some of you have heard this before, but I'm going to tell you again. Uh, I'm, I'm on the tube on the way to work, and I, I sometimes remember to do this, and I'm like, God, would you give me an opportunity today? There are friends I have who I love and I care about, but I just talk about rubbish the whole time. And you have this wonderful good news, and would you give me the opportunity to share this? And then he does, like halfway through the day, and I'm like in the middle of a job, and I'm like, this is a really important job, I need to get it done, and my mind's on it, and if I stopped it, like, I'll, and God gives me these opportunities, and I've got to be like, well, God, you've, been, you've, been, you've initiated, I need to respond. Where do we need to respond to what God's already done? You know, just this morning, I appreciate, I'm almost done, I'm almost done. It's a really good story. Uh, just this morning, we uh, were leaving the house, going to church, and I had all the, you know, all my notes, and I'm uh, thinking about uh, all the stuff ahead of me, and then we see our new neighbors who have moved in three doors down, and he's out, like, taking out the recycling or something like that, and um, the thoughts running through my head, honestly, are, I don't have time for this, I don't have time for this. And like, he's doing his recycling. This is a really, you know, this is quite a sensitive moment anyway. I don't want to interrupt this. This is important. And the reality is, that, uh, like, I just felt a prompting from the Holy Spirit. And like, no, go say hi. You are made to be an emissary of good news. And that begins with friendship. And that begins with saying hi. And it means going across to these people. And we're British and we don't like this. And this is tough. I appreciate all of that. But God has equipped us and sent us.